the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. Um, but we are in the Didache, and the Didache is the teaching of the apostles uh, that was used as kind of a catechism before people were baptized. And then um, uh, after they learned these things, then they were baptized. And as I've said, I think I said this earlier this week or maybe late last week, um, I believe this is something that's not such a huge document that it probably could have been memorized. I, I think I counted the words and it was about 300 words, which is, I think anybody could memorize 300 words. I don't know if you have to memorize it. Um, I think as long as you know the stuff that's in it, you're probably okay. But knowing how societies operated before people had complete access to written documents, something like this, might it might have been fun to memorize. People enjoy memorizing stuff like this. I remember when I was in uh, junior high and high school, I used to memorize you know Shakespearean stuff and soliloquies and I think I memorized the Gettysburg Address. I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff that I mem I memorized just because I enjoy memorizing things. Um, so this certainly, I you know, this might be something that uh, maybe I'll memorize it someday, just be just for the fun of it. Wouldn't that be fun to memorize? It's not hard to memorize stuff. If you've ever been an actor or an actress uh, and had to learn your lines for something, um, it's act I I actually enjoy memorizing stuff. So I'm. Uh, I guess I'm a freak of nature. Well, probably some people enjoy memorizing stuff. <laughs> I'm probably a freak of nature for more things than memorizing stuff. <laughs> anyway, so we've talked about the way of life and we've talked about the way of death. And now we're going to go into chapter six, which is just some final uh, exhortations. These are things that, you know, hey, as we move forward, here's some things to think about. And, uh, and so th that's, what, that's what we're going to look at kind of some wrap it up with a bow. And then after we get out of chapter six, we're going to look at some uh, other things, kind of some um, some sacraments, I guess you could call them, uh, orders of the church and things like that. Uh, but so this is this is kind of putting a bow around the, the way of life and the way of death. And I think we'll just go ahead and read it. So let's move over to the Didache, chapter six. And it goes like this. See that no one make thee to err from this way of the teaching, for he teaches thee without God. For if thou canst bear the whole yoke of the Lord, thou wilt be perfect. But if thou canst not, do what thou canst. And concerning food, bear what thou canst, but keep strictly from that which is offered to idols, for it is the worship of dead gods. All right, so this is, this is fascinating. Um, for a couple reasons. First of all, do what you can, right? It's like, see that no one make you to err from this way. Do everything you can to not stray from the way of life uh, because the teaching brings life. And uh, for if anybody tries to make you to stray from this teaching, they're trying to teach you a way of death and don't do that. And if you can keep all of these teachings, absolutely do it. But if you can't make these teachings, then do what you can, um, which is fascinating um, because uh, uh, you, this isn't something that you normally see in religion, right? Most religions tell you, here's the things you've got to keep. You've got to keep the law perfectly. But right here in chapter six, it's like keep the law as best as you can. 
if you can bear if you can bear the whole yoke of the law, do it. But if you can't, just do what you can. Um, and that's that is such a an interesting way of looking at God's law, because as I said, most religions are are talking about trying. You know, you here's what God says, you must keep it. The Jewish law was that way, absolutely. Here's what God says, and here's the punishments if you don't keep God's law. But here in the Didache, it's saying, do, do what you can. Keep as much of it as you can. And um, I, I, I think that this points out that Christianity isn't all about laws, but about having a relationship with the creator of the universe, being in the kingdom, and understanding that if you're in the kingdom, your desire is to keep the law, not because you can keep it perfectly to please God, but you, I mean, because you're you're worried that God's angry at you, but you want to keep God's law as much as you can because you you want to please God. You want to have um, you want to have God uh, pleased by what you do. Uh, but but it's not everybody can keep the law perfectly. The only person that could ever keep the law perfectly was Jesus. And so this is just great comfort for anybody uh, who is coming into the Christian faith. Do what you can. Jesus said uh, in Mark 1.15, uh, the time has now come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And what Jesus said is basically, when I have come into this world, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of new teachings, and it's just going to change your mind. You have to change your mind and think of a new way of living from the old way of living. And, uh, and he didn't use epic as time, but he, I mean, he didn't use uh, chronos as time, but he used kairos as time in that verse, meaning that every once in a while you're walking along with God and you have this moment where God uh, imparts something to you. Maybe it's a scripture verse or maybe you see a Christian acting a certain way or you hear something about God and it causes you to think about God in a new way. And we are continually throughout our whole life bombarded with these Kairos moments where we're trying to understand God in more and deeper and more wonderful ways. None of us can keep God's law perfectly, but God um, has redeemed us so that we don't have to keep his law perfectly. But what he does encourage us to do is to continue to study his word, continue to abide in him and he in us so that we can grow in our faith. Our root system grows and we get stronger and deeper in our faith. Uh, and that is really what what is saying here in chapter six. Uh, keep as much of the law as you can, but if you can't do what you, you know, do what you can do. But then continue to grow in your faith, to try to to carve off the edges, to let God continue to perfect you throughout your whole life. Let Him refine you. Uh, that's another way that it's looked at in Scripture. What Jesus talked about when Jesus talks about this is that. Uh, Throughout your life, God is going to continue to refine you and perfect you. And through the trials and tribulations, he's going to continue to perfect you. Now, Martin Luther would call this tentatio. Uh, Luther said that you should pray, you should pray, you should read scripture, and then you should let both of those things kind of sit in you for a while uh, in what he would call tentatio, that it's basically struggling with God's word to help perfect you to move you in the direction of God or Kairos moments. It's all, it's all the same thing. You, you are not a, 
you are not the per, the person that God wants you to be when you become when you come into the kingdom. But what he does is he sends his spirit in your life to help you become closer to what he'd like you to be in the kingdom. That's probably the best way to say it. And that, that's completely in line with here. Verse chapter six, verses one and two. And then in verse three, he says, uh, concerning food, um, bear what you can, but keep strictly from that which is offered to idols, for it is the worship of dead gods. Now, this is something that the early church looked at because in the Roman Empire, uh, particularly not necessarily in Jerusalem, but as you start moving out into uh, Corinth and um, Greece and, uh, and Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and all of those places where Paul began to plant churches, um, that Roman and Greek empire was filled with gods. There were gods for everything. There were, there were gods to wake up in the morning, gods to go to sleep at night, gods over the earth, land, sea, water, love, uh, fertility. Um, just there were gods for everything you can possibly imagine. And, um, and they would have societies like, you know, we have modern day, you know, veterans of foreign war or uh, eagles or the Elks Club or you know, all that sort of thing. They'd have clubs they get together, you know, even around gods. I mean, gods were just such a part of the society that didn't even think twice about it. And they would get together. They would offer, you know, a perfunctory sacrifice to God, you know, the meat to gods and then they'd eat it. And there was so much meat sacrificed to gods that almost everything that was uh, sold in the stores or things like that was meat that was offer offered to gods. And it was pretty hard to, to not eat meat that was sacrificed to, that was sacrificed to gods. Uh, it was just everywhere. Well, there was a question as to whether or not it was okay to eat meat that was sacrificed to gods. And um, that became a big question. And it came up at the Jerusalem Council. Now, the Jerusalem Council happened in Acts chapter 15. And the council was convened because there was a question whether or not Gentile believers needed to be circumcised. It is one thing to circumcise a young male at the age of eight days old. It is completely something else to circumcise a male who is, let's say, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 years old. That is... Not the best time to be circumcised. <laughs> it gives me chills just thinking about it, all right? So um, so the question was, do Jewish converts need to be circumcised if they're going to be, uh, if they're going to continue in the Christian faith? And so they decided to com convene this powwow in Jerusalem to answer this question. And so uh, we, I think we can look at this. Yeah, this is the Council of Jerusalem. Let's just read this real quick and see what happens. This is uh, Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So the, 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 there were some people that came from Judea, right, to Antioch. So from Jerusalem over to the Greek world. And they were teaching the believers that you have to be circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses. You cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. Of course, Paul... He's trying to act, to do all this ministry and plant churches and all that sort of thing. 
and and th they came up from Judea and they're like, no, you got to be circumcised. The law says you have to be circumcised if you're not circumcised. And Paul's like, yeah, but Jesus, Jesus said we don't, you know, we're saved because of him and his grace. And it, it's not circumcision. So um, continuing to read, uh, verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So as they're going along, uh, they're telling everybody, hey, look, look at how many converts we have. Look at what the, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and all these churches and how wonderful it is. Uh, and when it gets reported back to Jerusalem, the elders and the apostles are just completely thrilled by this. Um, so let's let's continue on. Verse five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, these Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now look who's doing it. It's the believers who belong to the Pharisees. So these are believers who began, you know, who are kind of more aligned with the Pharisees. And in verse six, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. And he said this, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their heart by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor the ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Now I'm going to scroll up a little bit. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James, this is the brother of Jesus, spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to, cho to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So they decided that they're going to, this is, this is what, you know, the, what he talked about. He said, um, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, but let's tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city. So they decide here at the Council of Jerusalem that they should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. 
They don't have to be they don't have to be circumcised, but they should abstain from the meat and from sexual immorality. Now, why? Well, let's get into the letter that they end up writing. Okay, so they end up writing a letter. So then the apostles and the elders. This is verse twenty-two. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers, and with them they sent the following letter. And this is the letter they sent. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And then they send the men off. So um, even though we have Christian freedom through Jesus Christ, here in, the, here in Acts chapter 15, under this first council of Jerusalem, they decide that they are going to say, you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And uh, remember, this is, some, this is a practice that is everywhere in, uh, in the Greek and Roman Empire. I mean, they, they ate meat sacrificed to idols all the time. If you would go over to someone's house, you might eat meat sacrificed to idols. I mean, and, and how do you say no to that? I mean, you're kind of a little bit of an outlier if you get invited to somebody's house and they say, oh, by the way, we're having, um, you know, we're having uh, sheep tonight. Oh, by the way, this sheep was sacrificed to idols. And it'd be impolite to say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to eat that. Um, so it does put a big burden on Christians to do that. Uh, but this is what came out of the Council of Jerusalem. So how well did that go? Well, the first place we're going to look is in Acts or First uh, Corinthians Chapter 8, let me find 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, this is Paul's letter to, the, to Corinthians. Now, Corinth is in very metropolitan area. I mean, th this, is, this is probably the heart of the pagan empire that, that Paul would have preached to. And so every Christian convert in this area would have been deeply steeped in a culture where they would have eaten meat, sacrificed to idol their whole time. Uh, but this is what, so Paul writes to them, and this is what he says. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do, do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there is no one but there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and from whom we live. 
And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Now, this is where Paul gets into it. He says, some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. But be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brothers or sisters to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So what Paul says, and this is, this is, um, this is so true. He says, by, Christ died to save you from all sin. You are perfectly free in Christ to do all things. That includes you can eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. But Paul says, don't, sa- don't eat food sacrificed to idols because there is the potential that someone who is just new to the Christian faith may see you eating food sacrificed to idols and they may not understand the whole point of Christian freedom and they may not understand that there is a difference between being in the kingdom and not being in the kingdom and their mind is troubled and their conscience is not understanding all of this. And so therefore, Paul says... Just to make it clear, even though I am able to eat meat sacrificed to idols, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to burden their conscience or to confuse their conscience. Um, And so that's what Paul says. And then uh, he continues on then in chapter 10, just a few verses later, where he says in verse 14, this is chapter 10. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break in participation of the body of Christ? Therefore, there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Um, Yeah, so in 1 Corinthians 10, right here, uh, earlier in the chapter, Paul is talking about how they get together for the Lord's Supper. And we find it strange because the way he's talking about the Lord's Supper is not how we do the Lord's Supper today. The way they did the Lord's Supper at the time of Paul is they basically had a potluck and everybody would gather together and eat a meal together. And in the middle of that meal, they would stop and they would pause and they would remember uh, Jesus' words. They would, they would hold up the, the bread and they would hold up the wine and they say, Jesus is present with us. And they would pass that out and they would have it. It wasn't in the context of the worship on Sunday morning. It was in the context of the agape meal uh, is when they, when they shared the Lord's Supper. It was, uh, and we know this from, even from Acts chapter 2, where they says they gathered together for the apostles' teaching, uh, the fellowship breaking of bread and prayer. And that breaking of bread was basically this coming together for this potluck where they would they would all share things. And, but what happened is that they didn't share things equally. 
and they had food sacrificed to idols and it wasn't a, the meal of itself wasn't a, a, a time set apart because if you're gonna if you're gonna have a remembrance of Jesus in that meal it's, it becomes sacred the meal becomes sacred the whole evening becomes sacred it's a sharing of fellowship in a time of remembering of Jesus that Jesus is Christ is truly present in the body and the blood uh, and so that's Paul, what Paul's talking about now let's continue on verse 18 consider the people of Israel do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So basically, when they come together, these potlucks, and you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the middle of this meal, you can't have food that has been sacrificed to idols in that meal. It just doesn't make sense. You can't have them both there. If you're going to have a meal uh, that doesn't have the Lord's Supper, that, then there's no confusion. You shouldn't have meal sacrifice. You shouldn't have meat sacrificed to idol. The problem was. In a lot of places, the only meat that's available is meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. So it's hard to have a meal where there wasn't stuff sacrificed to an idol. So what Paul says, it's better not to even have a meal then if you're not going to have, uh, if you're going to have food that's been sacrificed to an idol. Uh, and then here we go to, to another part. So we're going to just finish this off. This is verse 23. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But... If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising a question of concepts. This is our, this is if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising a question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the ones who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And I think everything revolves around this last verse, so I'm going to read it again. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And that's the key to this whole thing. We don't want to eat meat. Paul doesn't want to eat meat sacrificed to idols. That came out of the Jerusalem Council. So Paul is um, 
coming back with this message. We don't want to eat meat sacrificed idols. We don't have to be sac- we don't have to be circumcised, but we want to refrain from eating meat. But now he's in an area where sometimes in order to interact with other people, they're going to invite you over to dinner at their house and they're going to offer you meat sacrificed to an idol. So this puts a burden on the Christian because they Jesus on the one hand says to love your love your neighbor as yourself love love the we are the hands and feet of God in the world around us and that includes the pagan world and in the pagan world they eat meat sacrificed to idols and Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and and that means that we can eat with pagans. So you go over to their house to eat and all of a sudden they're doing a practice which you know is wrong, but they don't know it's wrong. And so they've offered you food sacrificed to an idol. Do you eat the food? And Paul says, of course you do because you love them. You don't want to burden their conscience. This, you don't come right out of the bat at somebody and say everything that you're doing is wrong. No, you love them, and so you eat the food that has been put, placed before you. But if they tell you, now this food's been sacrificed to idols, is that okay? You know, now it's been brought up, now the topic has been breached, uh, and now this is a teaching moment for them. And you say, you know, I have Christian freedom. I can eat meat sacrificed to idols, but because I love God and because I uh, I don't want to eat food sacrificed to idols. I'm not going to do it. And so it's, it's just a very, it's a very, very thin line. I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a balancing act. On the one hand, you want to love people that you go over to their house. But on the other hand, once it's been raised that this food has been sacrificed to idols, you kind of have to say, no, I can't eat this food. You know, one is because it, it's been sacrificed to idols, but two, it, it helps Provide a teaching moment, but three, you know, the Jerusalem Council said, "Don't eat meat sacrificed idols." You know, he's trying to play nice with the with the Jerusalem Council, and so Paul is always. But 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 what is first and foremost on his mind is he's not seeking his own good. It's not about Paul's salvation. His salvation is secure. What Paul has to consider in his mind is what is the best way forward so that I can love this person that and bring them into a relationship with Christ in the kingdom. That is Paul's first and foremost thought in anything. And I think if we are a Christian in the kingdom, that becomes our first and foremost thought. What is it that we do in our world? First and foremost, it's all about the people that we're, that we're bringing the hands and feet to Jesus in a world that so desperately needs them. How do we get them on the path to get into the kingdom of God. And if that means, you know, from time to time, eating food sacrificed to idols and, you know, and what it means is you go, you don't go to their house and you ask, hey, was this food sacrificed to idols? Because if it is, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to eat it. No, you go, they give you food and you eat it. And then, <laughs> then they say, oh, by the way, this food's been sacrificed to idols. Then it's a teaching moment. And it's an explanation moment. And it's done out of concern and love and care for the people that have invited you into their house to, you know, to share a meal with them. This is always the balancing act that we have as Christians. And yet we are first and foremost is love for them, care for them, concern for them. 
it is always difficult to understand how to navigate these things in the world because we do it as best as we can. And we're not always going to do it perfectly, but we do it as best as we can. And Jesus Christ covers us from a multitude of sins. Praise God for that. Um, this is such a fascinating topic because um, how a Christian interacts with the world is just very, very... And what would, the, what would be food sacrificed to idols today? Um, you know, there, I, you probably can think of a dozen things that because you're a Christian, it's like, man, I shouldn't do this, but I also want to love the people around me. Uh, I want to show love and compassion and concern for them. Um, so, and how to navigate that is just, is that every situation is different, but we can take, uh, we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus has redeemed us. So I've gone a little bit long today and this is finishing chapter six. We're now going to get into tomorrow. We're going to get into some of the catechesis stuff, which is also very fascinating. But, uh, as we end today, let's just close in prayer. Gracious God, uh, thank you for the blessings of this day. Lord, our primary mission in this world is to love the world around us, and that looks different in each and every situation. So we thank you for your grace, and we ask for your presence, your spirit, your wisdom, and your guidance in every situation so that we do the things that you've called us to do in love and in kindness and grace and in mercy. Be with us until we meet again tomorrow. In Jesus' name.